Now, I, I want to begin this morning uh, with a photo here. This is from an archaeological dig that recently was discovered in Jerusalem at the foot of what is known as the Old City of Jerusalem. Now, hopefully you can see this blackened layer here that was discovered. This was inside houses that had been built outside of the city walls. So archaeologists, in analyzing this, uh, date this layer at about 586 B.C., which puts it right at the time of our passage that was read this morning in Jeremiah 32. Now, the, the article that was talking about this discovery said that Jerusalem uh, was destroyed uh, twice in its history. Uh, one time it happened was in 586, around this time. Uh, the second time was in the first century, in the year 70, when the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But there's a lot of evidence that archaeologists have discovered that show this to be uh, in, in, the, uh, in 586, around the time when the Babylonians were there destroying the city of Jerusalem. They also discovered at this site a little statue. We have a photo. It's a little Egyptian statue, which I find interesting because if you know the context of our story this morning... The reason Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was attacking Jerusalem is because Zedekiah, the king, who Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, had installed years before as king of Jerusalem, Zedekiah had aligned with the Egyptians against the Babylonians. And that is why Nebuchadnezzar was coming back. It was there to destroy the city. So, I find little archaeological um, discoveries like this interesting that kind of show um, the historical reliability of the scriptures. And there's a little known fact. They discovered the scroll with a drawing of the siege of Jerusalem. I have a, a, a slide of it. Pretty fascinating. This is a joke. You guys are supposed to laugh. That is not Jerusalem. That's from Lord of the Rings. Just kidding. All right, I know it's early. <laughs> Come on. Um, so our passage uh, deals here in Jeremiah 32 with the siege of Jerusalem. That's what we're told at the beginning of the passage in verses 2 and 3, that uh, the Babylonians are sieging or, or, or attacking the city. Jeremiah the prophet is imprisoned, we're told, in the court of the guard. And Zedekiah, who had imprisoned him, is upset with this, with this prophet. Now, the king had imprisoned Jeremiah because Jeremiah kept pronouncing this message from God. Jeremiah was a prophet of God, and Zedekiah, the king, did not like the message. In fact, he knew it so well, he recites it to Jeremiah here in verses 3 and 5. It's almost like it's, it's gotten into his brain and he can't stand it anymore. And he goes to Jeremiah and he's like, why do you keep saying that the king of Babylon is going to attack and that I have no hope that he's going to uh, send me to uh, Babylon and, and there I'm going to meet him face to face and that the Chaldeans are going to win uh, that I won't succeed, would you please stop? Would you stop announcing this message from God? But Jeremiah was only doing what God had told him. He was being faithful. 
And Jeremiah knew that this attack was coming. He knew that the Babylonians were going to win. And that's when God comes to Jeremiah and tells him to do this strange thing, to buy a field that belongs to his relative. He's told in verses 6 and 8, your cousin has this field. I want you to go and to purchase it. The Babylonians have surrounded the city. They're attacking. They're going to destroy the city. That's the message you've been proclaiming for years. Now I'm telling you to go buy this field. Now it has this phrase, the, the story has this phrase, right of redemption by purchase is yours. And that's referring to a law in Leviticus 25. It's a law uh, intended to keep property within a family. So Jeremiah apparently, either uh, Jeremiah's cousin didn't have any kids, or for whatever reason it wasn't the right time for any of his descendants to have this land, uh, the idea is that Jeremiah would purchase it so it would stay in the family. And so Jeremiah explains that that's exactly what he does. In verses 9 and 10, he says, I bought the field, I weighed out the money, I got the deed, I signed it, I sealed it, done. Now, what can we learn from this strange story of Jeremiah buying a plot of land? Well, I think this story has much to say about the topic of faith and how our faith in God shapes or should shape the decisions that we make, even when our circumstances say otherwise. And, and I want us to think for a moment about our church, not just for you to think about yourself as an individual Christian, but for you to think about our church as well. How are we as a church, by faith, making decisions as we move forward, even though our circumstances might say otherwise? And so we're going to look at three things uh, briefly this morning. We're going to look at how faith leads us to act, how faith leads us to act in unusual ways, and how faith leads us to act in unusual ways towards a better future. And so first, how faith leads us to act. Jeremiah shows us what it means to be a person of faith. He shows us what it means to be a person of faith. God tells Jeremiah, buy this property, and that's exactly what he does. Faith led Jeremiah to action. Faith led Jeremiah to do something. And so I want to ask you this morning, how often does your faith lead you to action? Now, some of you might say, well, it got me here at 9.30, so <laughs> that's at least something, and that's true. But what about the rest of the week? Does your faith inform the decisions that you make day to day, moment by moment? Now, it's important for me to establish what I mean by faith. I'm not speaking of wishful thinking. That's how somebody, some people think of faith. And we're not thinking of faith as believing something without any evidence whatsoever. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about faith. I want to give you um, the simplest way I can think to, uh, simplest way to think of faith, and it's this, that faith is believing God. Faith is believing God. Now, I guess a simpler way might be faith is trust, and I think that is a way you could describe faith. 
But I want to talk about this morning as faith is believing God. Now, that's different than faith is believing in God. That's not what we're talking about. I would argue the devil believes in God. Uh, The devil has information and knowledge about God. Faith is more than having information and knowledge about God. And it's more than believing that the information and knowledge you have about God is true. Certainly faith involves that, but there's a third level of faith that involves that trust that that allows you to trust and believe God. It's more than saying, I believe God exists, and it's more than being glad that God exists. It's that element of trust that, that, that comes into play with faith, where you believe not just in God, but you believe God. And you believe his word. You believe what God says. Now, there is a, de- a debate within the Christian circles between faith and, and, and works. And I want you uh, to know that some faithful Christians might disagree with what I'm sharing with you this morning because they might argue that faith equals action or faith equals obedience. They might argue that when you talk about faith, you have to talk about your actions at the same time. And I want you to see that I intentionally am describing faith differently. I said at the beginning, faith leads us to action, not faith is action. And I did that intentionally because I believe faith is an inherently passive activity. So please understand what I'm saying. It's a, it's a, a passive activity because it's a trust that we have in God. We believe God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul makes this argument. He says this, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and he describes faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul wants it to be clear, faith is not works. And I want it to be clear that at King's Church, we do not believe faith is works. Because I believe if you go there, you cannot help but take that step to say, you are saved by your works. And that is not the gospel. And that's what happens when we muddy our definition of faith and we begin to bring obedience into what faith is. They are connected. They are are vitally connected. That's what the Bible talks about, that faith and obedience is vitally connected, but obedience is the fruit of faith of believing God, of trusting God. Because the gospel is this, friends. The gospel is the good news about what God has done, not the good news about what you can do. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done for you, not what you can do for Jesus. And I can't stress that enough. Faith leads Jeremiah to act because he believed God. That's what I want you to see with Jeremiah. He trusted God, and faith is a relational dynamic here between Jeremiah and God, just as it is with you and me. 
It is a relational, it is a relationship of trust. Now, you might try to tell me to go try a new restaurant, and I might not know you, and so I may not trust you, and I might not try your restaurant that you think is so great. But Mark Lee, who is a foodie who leads the music here, that guy knows food, and I know Mark, and I trust him, and I have faith that when Mark tells me to go eat at a restaurant, you better believe I'll be there as soon as I can. And so my faith in Mark leads me to go eat at the restaurant. It's that trust. Now, one thing we have to see in this story, that faith almost always involves doubt. It almost always involves doubt, and that's very important for us as Christians to, to be clear about. It is, some of you might beat yourself up if your faith seems weak, or there's times when you doubt God, but I want you to see with Jeremiah, that there was certainly doubt in his mind. We don't see it in the story, the passage that we read. You have to read farther uh, along in the chapter. If you continue on in chapter 32, Jeremiah says this in verse 24. He says this, he's talking to God, and he says, Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it, yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the, the Chaldeans. Jeremiah is going, God, I am looking with my eyes and I'm seeing what's happening here, and yet you're telling me to buy this property? The city's about to be destroyed, yet you're telling me to purchase this land? Jeremiah is expressing doubt. At the same time, in, in the midst of his doubt, he acted in faith. So you see, faith and doubt can go together, can blend together. There can be elements of doubt in your faith today. You might be sitting here today really struggling to believe God, to believe in his promises, to believe what he says. And that, that is normal. That is true for all of us. But we see in this story that faith not only leads us to act, it leads us to act in unusual ways. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, that faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And I think that, that is a good example of Jeremiah. It's a good articulation of what faith looked like for Jeremiah. He's being asked to take a step on a staircase and he can't see where it leads. He can't see where it leads. It describes what Jeremiah is doing. God told him to buy this, this land, and it seemed like a crazy thing to do. And I hate to use this analogy, but it's, but it's, but it's obvious in light of uh, what happened in Florida and Houston. Uh, you know, I want, I want to show you this photo of this house. Now, this is in Houston. Now, imagine God coming to you the week before this was going to happen and saying, and you knew, you knew this was, this was going to be the result, or even... Now, saying, buy this house. God coming to you and telling you, you'd be like, this is nuts. This is nuts. Why would I do that? And that's what Jeremiah is confronted with here. But that's what faith leads us to do at times. It leads us to do unusual things. Oftentimes, we look at our circumstances and we think, this is crazy. I believe you, God, but this seems unusual. 
And, and that's what God is asking Jeremiah to do in our story. And not only can it be our circumstances that make our acts of faith seem unusual, it can be the fact that our values as followers of Jesus are at odds with our culture, with the values of our culture. For Christians, it, you know, the world might look at us the way we spend our money. If Maybe you have enough money to buy a a really nice car, but you choose to buy a lesser car. Or maybe you have money to buy a really nice house, but you choose to live in a, in a, in a, in a neighborhood maybe that, that people have less advantages. And you're intentionally doing that because you want to be light in that community. I mean, that's unusual, right? That's kind of crazy. But you're doing it because you're a follower of Jesus and he's calling you to that. Or perhaps... Uh, you're, you're in, in high school, you're with us, you're one of the youth in the church, and, you know, a lot of your friends don't have the values that you have when it comes to how you express your sexuality, and, and they're at odds, and the fact that you choose to live your life and express your sexuality in a way that honors God, that's going to seem crazy. That's going to be unusual, and yet you're choosing to do it by faith. Because you believe God, and you believe God wants you and has something better for you than what the values of the world might have. Maybe uh, I often think people who are convicted to be a missionary overseas, those are people that are doing something pretty unusual. <laughs> Maybe leaving their job here and going to Cambodia, perhaps, to share Jesus with, with uh, the people there. There's a number of examples we could see. Maybe your faith is calling you to homeschool your kids. Or maybe your faith is calling you to put your kids in the public schools. No, you know, depending on the community you're a part of, that could seem crazy. <laughs> it could be in some churches if you homeschool your kids, that's nuts. It could be in other churches if you go to put your kids in public schools, that's nuts. But you're doing it because you're believing God. You're believing what God has called you to do. And you're taking those steps of faith. Randy Presswich is a good example of this. If, if you remember Randy, I think we have some photos. Randy uh, last week um, took, went with some friends. Our church gave $1,000 for them to go do work in Houston. Here's Randy. And, and this is some of the work that they've been doing, going into these homes, tearing out the drywall, ripping out the floors, throwing it in the front yard. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And here are individuals who drove 25 hours, 24 hours from, from California to go serve people in Houston. That's unusual, isn't it? That's unusual, but they're driven by faith. They're driven by what God has called them to do. And it's a beautiful picture of, this, of what we're talking about here in this story. We act by faith to do unusual things, but we also do them towards a better future. And that's the last point we want to talk about. Why does God tell Jeremiah to do this? Well, his actions were a sermon, a visible sermon for God's people. The point of this transaction of Jeremiah buying this land was to prove and show the people of God, the Israelites, that one day they would return and that one day property would be owned 
and transactions like this would take place. Now, the reality is, if you look with your natural eye, there's no way you could see that possibility. No possibility. And yet, God was giving his people a vision of the future through Jeremiah, through this crazy act. And that's exactly what we do as the followers of Jesus when we, by faith, do unusual things because we have hope for a better future. We look around in the world, we see things falling apart, we see darkness, we see the ways that our our culture seems to be falling apart, but we, as followers of Jesus, act by faith and do unusual things because we believe God's promises, we believe God. And one of the beautiful things about this passage is how God speaks about his heart towards the future and the ways he's going to prove himself faithful to his people Again, you've got to read further on in the story towards the end of the chapter. But this is what God says down towards verse 41. He says this about his people. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. This is the only place in the Bible where God speaks of himself in this way. The only place where God talks about with all his heart and with all his soul, he is going to do good for his people. And of course, as Christians, we know that ultimately God is speaking of the fact that he was going to come as a person, as a man. In the future, he was going to come and he was going to win the victory for his people. He was going to win the battle through the person of Jesus Christ. He was going to win the victory for us and secure for us our future hope. And of course, this is what Jesus did on the cross and this is what Jesus did in the resurrection. And this proclamation of our future hope is what drives us today to be people of light in our community. That we don't look at things through the eyes of our circumstances. And we don't look at things through the eyes of the values of our culture. We believe God and we act accordingly. And God promises he will bless us with gusto. I love how one commentator puts it, that God will bless us with gusto. That's how this passage speaks about it. If only we as his people would act by faith. And so that's my hope for us. And that's what we are attempting to do as we move forward in this new transition and this new Sunday morning format and the things that we're trying to do here. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the Connect Hour that's coming up. But uh, we just have a few more minutes. I'm going to call the band up uh, to lead us through this final song. And I'm going to pray for us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the example of Jeremiah that we can see what it means to believe you and to act. And many of us face these challenges all the time, day by day. And I just pray that as we're confronted with these choices, whether to to act in faith and obedience, that you, through your Spirit, would empower us and remind us of your goodness and of your faithfulness, Jesus. We love you, and it it is in your name that we pray. Amen.